Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. G'day and welcome to this week's episode of the Educated Hunter. For those of you who listened last week, it was uh, pretty heavy and and full of facts. So this week is probably the polar opposite, to be honest. Um, this is a chat between myself, Curran, uh, Curran's good hunting mate Ryan Weir, and my father, who is full of stories and chat. So very light-hearted, kind of a debrief after our our raw hunt down in Otago. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. As I said, more on the light-hearted side this week. So we're live on air, are we? <laughs> live on air. <laughs> Some we're version getting... of air, yep. We're, we're... Yeah, the last time I was rigged up like this, I was getting interviewed by the IRD <laughs> as to why I hadn't paid tax for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not by a bloke that had one eye. <laughs> and I guess the IRD was the only place you could get a job. Why had you paid down. tax for ten years, Dad? Yeah. Oh, because the system was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, Blame seriously, the system, eh? I've got a letter at home signed by Michael Cullen to me personally, basically apologising for how bullshit the system was, but they still made me pay. Um. Well, no, that was the first, the second incident. The first incident, I didn't pay tax for 10 years because I just started out farming. And from a non-farming background, had no bloody money. So I was struggling along and came to the first year to do my taxes. And they broke the news to me that they had this um, stock value system where they had what they call standard values at the end of the year. So when you're starting out, you're building numbers as quick as you can. At the end of the year, they value your stock and you pay tax on the increase in number of stock you got, which is bullshit. So you you didn't sell how you had. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. So you got no money, and they're saying, oh, that's awesome. You got 500 extra cattle. So the difference between what they're worth and the standard value is 100 bucks a head. So you can pay tax on 50 grand. Thanks very much. I said, well, I haven't got any bloody money because I haven't sold them. So I thought, oh, that's bullshit, so I'm just not going to do a tax return. So, so that, works that, for, that theory works for one year? No, no, it worked for 10 years. <laughs> I went 10 years without doing a tax return. But what really threw them out was I, I fessed up. And shit, they're not used to that at all. So I rang them up and said, I'm not doing a tax return because your system's bullshit. Oh, oh, well, you have to do a tax return. I said, well, I'm not. So I'm just letting you know so you don't think that I'm evading tax, I'm just not paying it. <laughs> I'm not evading tax, I'm just not paying yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just not going to pay it because your system's bullshit. You're and this went on for quite a few years and they kept sort of harassing me. And in the end they had an amnesty. So that was after 10 years, so I thought I'd better go in. And so I had to sit down and produce all my books for the previous 10 years. And farming being farming... They went up and down like a bloody yo-yo. Some years I should have paid tax. Some years I should have had a tax rebate. Or, you know, like... Yeah. 
And so it went up and down, up and down, up and down. And the amnesty had said that there would be no penalties charged. <laughs> so, went on. so when you took out the penalties, we were all square. <laughs> so it worked a bloody treat. Well, that's a good story to start a good hunting podcast. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that's first. got to do with it, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, I've got another one. It's even better tax one, but we'll throw that in later. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, I guess we better formally kick it off. We're here with me, Matt, and Curran's here. I'm here. Yeah, one of our, well, second time we've done a podcast together. And then we've got my old man, Ross Gibson. And one of Curran's, I guess, best mates and hunting mates, mm-hmm. Ryan Weir. Cheers. And we have just got out of... Secret block. A secret block that we won't talk about, somewhere in the Otago region, um, where we've spent a couple of days chasing roaring stags. It's been mm. awesome. So we thought we'd do a round-the-fire debrief. If you hear a bit of cracking and popping in the background, it's a bit of good old... Was it Briar, Curran? No, that's gone now. No, we're just on Joe Blog Willow at the minute. The Willow cracking yeah. in the background, mm. having a couple of beers, and well, I guess we'll do a bit of a debrief. So, I'll start with you, Ross. How did you find it? <laughs> Bloody fatiguing. Well, he hasn't told you I'm 60-ish. <laughs> so, I'm here with a, you know these guys that are basically in their 30s, so I found it bloody good, but... I guess I was a bit concerned about the closeness of the contour lines. Being a North Island hunter, got a better point that out. So, been hunting since I was 16, but in the North Island. So this was actually my first big tussock country experience. And how did I find it? Um, very different. Very different seeing deer all over the place. Um, but actually been able to physically see them when you've been a bush hunter, which pretty much is what you are if you're a North Island hunter. Um, everything's sort of up close, personal, quick, and this was long distance. When we sat down and started glassing the first day, and after five minutes, which is about as long as anyone would ever glass in the North Island normally... <laughs> <coughs> When are we actually going to go hunting? We sat in glass pretty much. Was all day, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah pretty day. close first to it. Was, we, yeah. we missed first light with the helicopter drop off. So yeah, yeah, we we're in a in, in a bit late, but the deer was still very active. Yeah, and I found it sort of quite fascinating in that. You know, I would have seen the first deer and said, "Right, make a beeline for it and shoot it." The longer we sat there, the more deer we saw, and it just went on and on and on, and deer just kept appearing out of the Manuka. So I guess that was very different to North Island. Certainly no doubt that the distances are quite big. <laughs> <laughs> My first estimate of how far do you think it is across there, Ross? I think, what did I say? Like 400 maybe? 400 Three, metres, yeah, yeah and it was 1.2k or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tussock's tussock. So I'm picking on what I missed that one. But no, great experience. Um, Totally different. Wish to hell I'd um, got into it when I was 20, basically. Yeah, fair Mm. enough. Mm. Karen, how was your trip? Yeah, well, that was my first fly in raw billeted block um, on Dockland. 
and yeah, it was just it was pretty mind blowing. Took me back for a few years because I used to hunt the dockland around Alex quite a bit before I had dogs, and that's probably the main reason why I hadn't been hunting that hard on dockland and, and during the raw. And like Ross said, just big country, awesome country, and it's right on our back doorstep, so we're pretty lucky down this way. And with the numbers of animals around, it was pretty exciting three, four days we had up on the mountain. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have too many, too long. There was probably a two-hour, three-hour period every day where they stopped roaring. Hmm. Well, the time well yeah... Uh, Yes, but even then I think they were basically roaring through. Like yeah. We were in some pretty steep country and when you were in the right position for the wind, you could hear deer all day. Yeah. Um, so like timing-wise, we got it pretty right. The stags, the stags were going pretty hard all day and, and when we had the good still morning on Wednesday morning. Yeah. What, day, what, what are we just for reference? It's the 5th of April today. So we flew yeah. in on the first. We went the first week, basically. Yeah, Our block week started on the thirty-first, but we got delayed with wind. <clears throat> I think it was blowing fifty-five knots at, at where we wanted to camp. So that's when the pilots tell you that it's not right. Then you best to take their <laughs> advice on that one. <laughs> what do you, what do you Just, despite the, the internal thoughts we had sitting back home waiting for another day with the truck parked, but. Yeah. Well, but, so I've had two close calls, and they're both in that spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <coughs> and then, then I guess, yeah, the, the timing was right. But then we had a still, quite a still period for that area, just after a cold period. And I think, I think timing wise, we got it about right. Yeah. If anything, that was probably still early. Like there's still a lot of single hinds getting about, and um, but but in terms of noise and indication for us to go and have a look, it was pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, I had a great time for the first couple of days. Just. Sneaking around with my bow. I mean, I got within, what was that first one, 75 before he busted yep. someone. And then 25 I was at with the second one for quite a long period of time. It's a lot of fun when they're roaring like that. It certainly gets your blood blood pumping. Didn't manage to actually let an arrow go, but um, yeah, I guess that just negates the work side of it and you get to have all the fun part of it. Yeah, partly right. That's right. Didn't have to carry the thing up that bloody hill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. It, uh, you should probably share the fact that you were climbing the hill in wild work boots, <laughs> a green swanee that may or may not have been wet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <geez laughs> and, and some farm PVCs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's all good gear. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, we, uh, you probably stayed warmer and drier than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little bit of a giggle when Dad turned up from the North Island, and he putting on his boots. So where'd you get those, Dad? They look sort of semi-familiar. I think they might actually be a pair of Curran's boots that would have disappeared. No, he cheekily said, I think these are yours, Matt. And Matt was like, no, they're Curran's. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which would have been be. buried in a box full of Ultimate OE gear from about five years ago that's been on ice since I've been overseas. It was very entertaining. Oh, the no. steel caps, how they go on the hill? Yeah, no, they're good. Good. I only had one blister. <laughs> so that wasn't bad going at all. <coughs> bit lacking in grip on that tussock shit's quite slippery, isn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It a bit tomorrow it could be slipperier again. <laughs> right. Yeah, the tussock gets a bit bigger tomorrow. Awesome. But that's right. Yeah, no, nah, so it was a pretty good trip. I mean, how many stags do you reckon we saw in the end? I think we probably laid eyes on close to 30 stags. 
you know, stag being six points or more. Yeah. You know, there was a few spikers and stuff like that getting about, but I, I would think, like we watched the same stags repeatedly too, but I would think close to 30 different stags, or what we assume are different stags. Yeah, and some of them were seen with two or three k's away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that were never in threat from us, just given the nature of the country. It's a long way to go. No, and just, I guess, per chance or, or, or just the reality of, of what we saw, like there was a lot of young deer. Yeah. Like we didn't see, we, we, we sort of ended up sort of splitting up, I guess, and, and Ryan and myself, we only really saw the one stag that we would have genuinely said was well-aged, well-mature. Yeah, and we were the same. That one big 10-pointer on the other side mm. was probably the oldest deer that we saw by far, and he was holding probably, I don't know, six or eight hinds. Mm. And mm. then there was probably three or four stags doing the satellite routine around him that if they got within 300 yards, he'd come charging off the hill at them. And mm. um, Pretty awesome to see in that open country because, I mean, and growing up in the North Island and hunting with Dad, all that stuff happens, but behind the the veil of thick native. So you can hear it all going on, but you can't ever see it happening until you get right in there, and then you generally run into those satellite stags more often than not, and you don't often get in nice and close to the big fella who's holding, at least in my experience. No, just shoot the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it took a fair bit to talk Ross off the ledge on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what we discussed it earlier the best collection of six and eight pointers <laughs> we um we discussed it today like the fact you're seeing deer but largely that's due to not chasing and shooting the first deer yeah yeah you know, sure. allow yourself the time to see more than you see more well you could sort of tell once we started sort of getting amongst them and putting the scent around a little bit and then you shot one on the second day about halfway down and so everything was getting pushed further and further down the block yeah, definitely. In, the, in that big country, it doesn't take much to upset it. Yeah. 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 But that's the big difference between that and the North Island is like, there probably aren't any more deer. It's just you're seeing them all, and that's really hard to deal with. You know, I grew up <laughs> Emotionally? In, yeah, it is, yeah. Sitting there glassing and just looking at them. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I started hunting in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, so... I can tell you the first 16 trips I went on, um, totally green. So me and my mates would just hop in the car and head off and then we'd just walk all weekend and declare that to be a deer-free area. So the numbers were really, really low due to all the chopper pressure. So we literally did 16 trips in a row and never saw a deer. Now, half of that was because the numbers were really low and the other half is because we didn't have a bloody clue what we were doing and we just walked and probably walked past heaps and heaps of deer but that's the era that we grew up in my age group in the North Island so basically my first instinct when you see a deer is you shoot it and it's you know very difficult for us to change that mentality as hunters to actually stop and observe and assess and whatever your, your your instant reaction the minute you see a deer is to up and and drop it because you've spent so many hours looking for the friggin thing so here, here's a question for you based on like i know you've been successful on other trips versus this trip when you weren't successful 
mm. but watched more deer yeah. and I guess did it another method do you feel like this trip was any less successful than had you shot a six or eight pointer and well not now but I think that's probably more a function of age so there's no doubt with hunters as you get older you feel less need to pull the trigger and probably appreciate the trip for the trip and the company and just being out there. As I say, your rafters in your garage can only take a certain number of six and eight pointers <laughs> before your garage eventually falls down. So, well, you wouldn't yeah. want two tonnes of a collection engine <laughs> on you, would you? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, that's an age thing. And despite all the shit you guys gave me about blowing everything away, I definitely made up my mind before I came, unless it was a PV, I wasn't going to shoot it. So hence, I never pulled the trigger on the trip. With um, Lloyd. With, Have you introduced with, Lloyd? With Lloyd. No, I haven't introduced Lloyd. So so Lloyd's the um, the piece of choice. Um, again, these young fellas are so bloody techo. They've got stickers on their stock with different colours and different <laughs> ranges and things you click and fart round with. Lloyd's is just a good old 270 Parker Hale. Four in the mag probably could take five, but it'll jam jams anyway. It's <laughs> just a jam three. Yeah, jam <laughs> three. three. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, fixed power, four power scopes, all you need. You can't shoot him with that. Well, you're not close enough, basically. That would be a North Island philosophy. Certainly down here, I can see the benefits of all that other crap. But no, no, Lloyd, I've inherited from a friend of a friend of a friend. The old rifle's been passed round from a mate, my hunting mate who's other hunting mate that he'd hunted with since he was 16 um, snuffed it so the family gave him the gave him the rifle his name was Lloyd so we take Lloyd up on the hill every so often just to remember him so Lloyd had a trip mm-hmm. Matthew loosed a few rounds <laughs> off yep dusted the um, barrel out in anger yep and <laughs> um, Lloyd jammed on him a couple of times and <laughs> That's just technique, lack of experience, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I was actually thinking about it this morning. The first time I actually picked up Lloyd, looked through the scope, was trying to shoot that deer at three something, and then I uh, suddenly it was a long way away. Yeah, I sort of looked at it, thinking that it was going to. You know, I'm used to looking through at least a nine power scope, and then uh, so missed, and then tried to reload, and it jammed. So Dad had to run me through the unjamming process, which took about <laughs> about three minutes. And by that stage, the deer had gone over the ridge. So I then ran down the hill with two rounds in my hand and an empty gun, got over the ridge to see not only the deer that I'd shot at, but two more stags, two spikers and about five hinds and a big mob sort of standing there looking at me. And there was a the one that I shot at was a, a decent looking 12 and then there was one standing next to him that was bigger so okay I'll just upgrade so I actually stopped and took the time to range them at that point they were 380 no no that was the first time I shot second time I shot they were 420 missed that reloaded and he stopped again at 460 and that's a real Hail Mary with a four power scope you've left out most of the vital details which are well, you'd run along a ridge oh, yeah. for about 100 metres before that, and then the shot was virtually vertical <laughs> downhill. Oh, it was freestanding. 
and freestanding, and I could see the four deer wobble on the barrel from where I was, 100 metres away. <laughs> that's, that's not a four deer wobble, that's a, too many it's pies like that wobble. trick you do with a spoon, and it looks like it's bending. The, 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 I optimistically put my thumbs up and then down, knowing full well which direction it was going to go. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it could have been a thumbs up, meaning they didn't have to climb down to the bottom of that gully to get anything. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a clean miss. He sort of stood there and looked at me for about five seconds and thought and said, yeah, you're a dick, and then just stepped into the bush. <laughs> so that was the end of that. But Never it was nice seen to... Again. It's been a while since I've just fired some shots in anger, to be fair. I've carried a gun around in Canada for probably a couple of seasons now, done multiple trips and never pulled the trigger. And then I've been carrying around the bow a lot lately as well, which generally means you get to do lots of walking, lots of hunting, lots of stalking and coming home empty handed um, so it was actually nice just to fire a few shots in anger Yeah, yeah. Lloyd, ha- Lloyd was happy yeah <coughs> blew the cobwebs out of the barrel two yeah. of the Labradors just joined the party looking yeah. at chops <laughs> yeah so it was fairly entertaining, I got as I said got up close to a couple with a boat which is uh, was good fun um, but yeah, back to you, Dad. Sixteen trips without seeing a deer. Mm. Do you remember the first time you actually saw one? Did your wheels fall off? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'd uh, how did it come about? Oh, that's right. We were on. Well, yeah, we used to go somewhere different. So that, I was just talking with Karen about this earlier. That I mean. That was the one thing that you need to thrash into young guys. If you can, go back to the same area because just building knowledge in an area is huge. But we'd just declare that there were no deer there and just hop in the car, drive to the Kaimanoas and then we'd drive to the Kaweekas and then we'd go to the Tauruas and then we'd go to the Rohinis and we'd better try the Yurawiras and we'd drive it's all around somewhere the in the yeah. There must be one deer here. Well, the beverages got to work somewhere. And eventually we are on a trip up Wanganui and... We'd, uh, there's a public land block up, up a valley called the Yahoo Yahoo. Some of the listeners will definitely know that. And we'd uh, been allocated a weekend. It was one place where they sort of restricted who was in there. So you, you had to sort of apply. And we'd had a weekend. So we went in there, thrashed round and shot about 20 goats, but never saw a fellow deer. Because we were bombing up the goats, probably, yeah. <laughs> but um, on the way home, we were driving out back down the valley, and lo and behold, there's a stag standing right next to the side of the road. We looked at it and just sort of sat and admired it, thinking, oh, well, obviously it's um, a farmed stag, and then we suddenly realised it was just uh, <laughs> normal sh- normal fence, normal 900 high fence. Shit, shit, wild, you know, mad scramble for the old three O's and then I said, oh, hang on a minute, this is sort of next to the road and actually on someone's farm, We perhaps we can't just bowl it over. So we drove down the road a bit further and I said, well, let's find a farmhouse. So the first farmhouse we found, we drove in and I fronted up and said, oh, look, we've just been hunting up the Ahu Ahu and didn't get anything, we're driving down the road and there's a stag stand in your paddock and, you know, would you mind if we went back and shot it? (laughs) He said, oh, well, I doubt whether it'll still be there, but... And he said, nah, I don't have anyone hunting on the place, he said, because I have a huge poaching problem, but you're the first person that's ever asked. 
like actually come in and asked. Everyone else would have just blown it away. So I said, on that basis, yep, I'll let you come back for a hunt. But just you on your own, which I thought was a bit unusual. So anyway, sure enough, next weekend I just happened to be free. Gave him a ring and went up there and, yeah, it was a... So the first one I shot was like a half-grown fellow doe. But it was, yeah, pretty friggin' exciting. Came out and offered him some meat and he said, no, no, didn't want any meat, that's all fine. And built up a bit of a relationship. So went on for a couple of years. I went hunting there heaps and he wouldn't let anyone else in. But like most people had hunting mates. Mm-hmm. and it was just sort of like wasn't quite the same going on your own so one day I thought oh, I got, my mate had never shot a fellow deer so I rang up and said look I'm coming up <coughs> can I um, can I bring a mate and I got his wife on the phone and she said yeah yep nah that's sweet you can bring your, bring your mate up not a problem I said look I won't shoot anything he can shoot something but We'll just shoot the one deer. So in we went. Sure enough, he shot his deer and it was all highly exciting. On the way out, we, as per usual, I stopped in at the house to say thank you. And um, <laughs> farmer came out and he sort of looked at me, looked at my mate behind and I introduced him and he looked as sour as hell. And I said, oh, yeah, well, we got a, got one, thanks very much, and, and went. Next time I rang up and said, can I come up for a hunt? Nah. Burn that bridge. <laughs> yeah, why is that? Nah. You bought someone else, you broke the rules. I said, oh, well, I actually um, rang up and your wife said it'd be okay. I make the decisions around here, mate. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was it. That was the end of me choice fellow spot. <laughs> but uh, it was good while it lasted. Mm. <clears throat> but I guess you can't blame them. It's their land. Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, that was it. Cut off at the knees. <laughs> Back to bashing the dock box. Yeah. I learned another valuable lesson in there. So, fairly early on in the piece, probably only the second or third one I got in there. So, stalking around the bush edge, just on dark, fellow spiker stepped out just on dark, and I thought, yeah, you beauty, boom, and he just took off. So, pretty sure I'd hit him, but wasn't too sure. So, went in the bush after him, and it's the old, you know, sounded like someone turned the lights out. <laughs> Oh shit, where is he? And I'm looking around and, you know, being young and stupid, I didn't have a torch or anything. And then I just heard this bit of a thrashing noise, went forward a bit where, and here he is lying in the ring fern, sort of thrashing around. So I thought, oh, yep, good one. Leaned the rifle up against the tree, walked about 10 paces towards him, got the knife out, and I'm standing there with the knife, and he stands up. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm looking back at the rifle on the tree, me standing there with a knife in the hand thinking, can I get back, like it's virtually pitch black, if he goes I'm not going to find him, so I committed and dived on the back of him, and was very surprised at how strong he was, (laughs) and so here I am on the back of this bloody fellow spiker, and he takes off, so I've got my arm around his neck, and I've got the bloody knife, and I'm trying to saw his throat. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this really could turn to shit quite quickly if he pulls <laughs> <laughs> over. I could bloody stab myself or whatever, but I'm shit. hanging on for grim death. And fortunately, the shot sort of caught up with him and he ran out of horsepower and wilted. 
into the ring fern, but it was, yeah, first lesson on how much grunt a little fellow has actually got. <laughs> you remember your first deer, Ryan? Yeah, plain as day. Um, of all places, it was a wee side branch off the root burn track up the top of the <laughs> Lake Wakatipu uh, at Glen Orkey there. And we'd gone in with a good mate I went to school with, and his dad was an ex deer colour. And me and Pat, the guy I went to school with, just on the side walking track, just cruising along just before dark, heading to this clearing we knew of. And I was in the lead, and all of a sudden we just went into a a finger of bush where the track headed, and all of a sudden a deer just materialised right in front of me, and it was like, holy heck, that's what one looks like. So I managed to smoke that over, and that yeah, it was a nice wee yearling, had a hind with it, and um, yeah, I can still remember it plain as day. Mm. It was it's just a bit of a buzzer, right? It was, yeah, I was just buzzing all the way back, carrying it back to. We were fly camping at a wee clearing back a bit further and just buzzed all the way back until I got home. Couldn't wait to go and... I was still living at home at this stage. I was 16, I think I was. And, yeah, it's just like it was yesterday, really. <laughs> Tipped a wee few more over since then. Yeah. But, mm. yeah, appreciate them so much more these days. Like... Since probably knowing Curran and hunting with him a bit and with his guiding experience, you know, looking at a stag and not thinking it's just a stag and it's got to be shot or the age and the, um, or how young it is with the going into the trophy side of things, you know, you hear of guys, you know, if I'd heard of someone get a 12 pointer, it's like, holy heck, a 12 pointer, that's awesome. Um, but you can get a young 12 pointer, which is, you know, mm. only bloody 20 inches long either side. Mm. And then you can get real ones. Mm. Yeah. And, to, and to put that in context, you didn't carry a rifle at all on this whole trip? No. No, I just didn't really feel the need or wanted to pull a trigger on a, on the deer. Um, yeah, definitely in the last few years it's got way more respect for them. Um, love to see them out and doing their own thing. Don't get me wrong, knock the old one over still, yeah. <laughs> when yep. it's the right one, or it's a tasty model. Yeah, I noticed there's a pretty good one hanging in your living room, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, got lucky there last year, but that that was over a matter of time of bloody weeding that one out. Um, yeah, I think we've been watching Red Deer oh. around the region for 10 years now, or yeah, longer. I would think so, easy. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a... Rash decision. No, <laughs> educated pull of the trigger of that one, but mm. uh, yeah, probably just losing the nerve a wee bit on bloody shooting lots of stuff these days, which is all good. Uh, it's like, quite a common lament of guys that have done a lot of hunting, as you sort of lose that um, drive just to have to kill everything, kill something on every trip. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's it definitely that, comes with frequency. Yeah, and I think it comes from it's a little bit of a hangover from you know your your age dad where it was a challenge just to get a deer mm. let alone to you know go out and be selective on what you shoot so that sort of has been passed on to generation a couple of generations since and that mentality of you know oh you went hunting this weekend yeah well did you get one no and there's some kind of stigma attached to that as if there's some kind of failure that you didn't get one 
Whereas you, we're starting to see a little bit of a change now, I think, of guys that are quite happy to go out, see a shitload of deer and not shoot anything, you know, when they're actively trophy hunting and say, look, I just didn't see the one I wanted to shoot. But I had a great trip anyway, um, which is, is different when you switch over to, you know, full meat hunting mode and then it's, you know, selecting the right mm. ones to shoot, put in the freezer as well. And I think that's a luxurious difference of your generation. There's so many more deer around that now if you want one for the freezer, you know, you can pretty much go and work a bush edge somewhere and, and get one. So everybody's got enough in the freezer, and then you start to appreciate, as Ryan said, the hunting for the, the actual experience and not the, the knockdown um, nearly as much. We, You know, I've had the privilege of owning a farm that, you know, we've got quite a few deer on the back of it. And, you know, for the last five years, I've started just, you know, going out, watching them, observing them, and, um, you know, trying to resist the temptation of shooting a a 10-pointer when it's three years old and actually realising that if we leave it, it'll um, perhaps turn into something. And, you know, we're talking about bullshit tower genetics here not like you guys have got down here but that's do you think though there's a there's got to be some sort of relationship in the fact that it's the the demographic of the company you keep because said say Matthew had never guided and that wasn't his career path and you were still in the company of the people you Just grew up mates. with and your friends yeah do you think you would bring a bit of that like what Ryan said and not no, I think it's definitely, current, definitely an age group thing. Like the the farm I'm talking about, I own with a mate, and he's got a son same age as Matthew, who's a mad, mad keen hunter as well. And between Matthew and him, getting in their old men's ears and saying, you know, well, what the hell did you shoot that for? Okay, it's a ten pointer, but look at it; it's only three years old. Um. We've sort of backed off them, and I guess guess this year that paid dividends, and that the um, my mate's son went out and on on the back of the farm and shot a seventeen pointer, which would be bloody unheard of for years uh, in the feral population out there. And you know, I've probably seen and had that deer on on my. Um, trail cams and things for some time and he's been left Mm. which was you know sort of nice that someone could actually reap the benefit yeah no for sure but I I guess Mm. I guess where I was sort of thinking was like there's still guys in our generation that are numbers hunters that was like the value in in their success is how loaded their truck looks as they pull in Mm. how many Facebook photos yeah Facebook photos or social media photos or the social responsibility within their group to be the greatest hunter. So how that they deliver that is by the volume of animals they have. Dead. Yeah, I think, you know, I, as an older hunter, I certainly perceive a change in that, though. Mm. That, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of whack em and stack em mentality is definitely going. Changing, yep. Changing, and there's a more of an emphasis on... You know, if you're a trophy hunter, quality of of trophy. But as I say, that's a luxury of your era. And if we'd gone up into that block 
I don't know what it's like down here, but let's uh, if it was the same as the Rohini's and we'd gone in and had a block that size um, back in the early 80s and we'd seen a couple of hinds, that'd be about it. Mm. But then you'd probably shoot those couple of hinds too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, yeah, absolutely you'd shoot them. Otherwise you'd just spend your life reading deer stalking books and they're actually shooting them. <laughs> <out. laughs> yeah, I guess it was a bit of a um, at loggerheads too when you're sitting at home reading the old culling stories and then you're mm. going out and not seeing any deer. It's a, you know, it becomes a, you know, a pass fail mark. Keith Severinson's Hunter Climb High got us all whizzed up. Just got to go. But then, so that, so to the flip side of that, because I, I, I think in summary we both kind of, or we all just assume that it's, it's nice to see deer and not shoot them, but we're not far off needing to shoot them. Like from a farming point of view, and we weren't on farming, we were on a dock block. But how many deer do you think that land could? Hold comfortably, like I don't. Mm. I'm not a farmer. You've got well, I didn't more, feel more. as though it was over. I mean, it was once we got onto that one side of the basin, and the feed was just so completely different to uh, the rest of it. So, for some reason, I, I don't know what the history of the piece of land is, and perhaps it's once been part of a farm and Doc have got hold of it. That's the sort of the look it had about it. On that side of the valley, for some reason, on that easier country, I guess at some stage it had been improved or fertilised or whatever. But there was that, you know, there was clover over there. Mm. So, as a farmer, if someone had said to me, "There's clover on that side of the valley and just this tussock crap on the other side," <laughs> I sure as hell would have been heading for the clover. Yeah. And I'd been commenting to Matthew about, like, "Oh, this is just or Ryan or someone so different to the North Island when you get into into the bush." You just about can't put your foot down without standing in deer shit. Yeah. Um, I just hadn't seen any sign. Just didn't, didn't, just wasn't seeing the sign. The odd footprint, but not much. But yeah, again, just the big vast areas. But once we got onto that good feed, uh, you know, mm. there was just deer shit everywhere. So obviously that's where they were congregating. But in saying that, back to your question, didn't feel as though it was overstocked. I mean, there was plenty of tucker in there. Mm. There was a heap of tucker in there. And the deer looked in good nick. Yeah, off the yeah so that certainly didn't have a overstocked look about it. But, I mean, what would the physical size of that block be? Sort of 3K by 3K? Well, not big, but but then I guess the other thing we only measured then was how it fits for hunting. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like how uh, the, the overall impact, like on what are they browsing on, is it making an impact on the natural environment? Yeah, I mean, if you are just going to keep that as a pure hunting block, then you would say, okay... The ratio was pretty good. There was, it was probably, I don't know, two hinds to one stag, which is pretty good for public yeah, land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, as Curran's sort of alluding to, at some point, as the deer numbers start to increase, as hunters, if we don't want Doc to turn around and say, "Okay, there's too many bloody deer in here," we're just going to go and knock a few on the head and leave them on the side of the hill, or open it up to Waro, or well, whatever that, it might be. That particular block doesn't get worried. No, it doesn't. And it, so other than recreational hunters, nobody's managing nothing in there. No one's managing it. So at some point, we're probably going to have probably going to have a point where we need to stand up and say, OK, as hunters, we need to you know, take what is the carrying capacity of this block that, or of this block or of this area or of whatever that matches up with whatever conservation-type goals that Doc want to have and find some kind of happy compromise and go in there because I bet you no one shoots hinds in there. 
Yeah, well, I was just think, sitting there thinking that. I mean, it's all very well going down this selection and trophy sort of line. But at the end of the day, you know, that block's going to need a few hinds smacked over. Yeah, 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 sure. Basically. So yep. um, I think we've got to be pretty careful about um, everything has to be 300 Douglas School before we pull the trigger. The, there's definitely a place for the the old hind for the Roscoes. Yeah, absolutely. Someone wants Roscoe to go and Lloyd combinations. Yep, yep. Somebody's got to shoot them. Yeah, and it's. I think it's as hunters, as recreational hunters on public land in New Zealand. I think that we need to, you know, put on the. The trouble is we don't have any kind of coherent management plan to to follow. So if one guy goes in there and shoots, you know, fifty hinds one day. There's no way of knowing that's happened, and there's no sort of check and balance to the fact that's happened. And Doc might still go in there and shoot all the stags that remain. So until you've got some kind of plan or management program in place where you can say, okay, we need to take X number of animals out of here per year, you know, similar to what the Wapiti Foundation guys are doing down south, then, you know, that coupled up with, you know, they do... Um, uh, vegetation plots to monitor what kind of mm. impact that the deer are having on the flora and fauna of the of the area so they know you know within you know scientific deviations that they are taking enough animals and the carrying capacities at a pack point where it makes sense you know trying to roll that out countrywide I don't think's practical but you could certainly take certain areas that you wanted to say manage for trophy quality and then have a group, a local hunting group or whatever, or some kind of ballot system set up for meat hunts where guys would go in there and say, okay, you're shooting for, you know, hinds only and we need to take X number out of here a year. Just let us know how many you get and then the next guys will know the numbers and you've got a target and if you don't hit that target, then put a helicopter around to fill the fill the gap. Mm. But that only works for, you know... A certain number of areas you know there's a lot of bush out there and yeah it's certainly not countrywide harping back to my first story about my tax I want to see it spent well and that <laughs> that management you know idea it would be fine and a good one in certain given areas but there's a whole lot of country out there that um, isn't getting shot yeah I mean by recreational hunters I mean, you're good mates with it. one of the war operators. Yeah, I'm quite thirsty. Just a little, little refreshment break. Ross has been speaking the most, so he's yeah, I'm trying to hydrate. A bit dry. Yeah, yeah. The I've doctor's told him he needs more water on his sugar, so he's on low-carb beers. Yeah, something else I need to point out to you young buggers too. Before you point that out. Before you point that out. There's something else I just thought of. Oh, yeah, you're saying that he found a block in the bush... Oh, yeah, that had been fenced off sort of in the late 70s yeah. as part of a, a, a sort of a vegetation plot. And, you know, Doc have brilliant ideas and two years later they forget about it. And so no one had been back there. And it just he was astounded. In fact, he took a whole lot of photos on his phone to show them the difference of the inside and the outside. So I guess as a, as a helicopter operator, a Waro guy, yes, he's beating his drum in terms of He's trying to get them to um, decrease some of the restrictions around him in terms of where he can hunt and when he can hunt. Um, 
but he certainly believes that, it, that the, there are areas of the Rohinis that are as bad as they've ever been um, as a result of the deer numbers. There just aren't the guys poking in there that there used to be, I don't think. Well, the thing is, there's, there's a lot of places you can go that are way more handier to get a meat Yeah, that's more. right. You can shoot one at the car park, yeah. And you don't have to walk all the way up to the tops just to shoot a meat animal to carry it out. Mm. I mean, if you're trophy hunting, yep, sure guys go into those areas and hunt them. But mm. they're not going to go up there and, you know, shoot a hind, you know, butcher it up, put it in their backpack and then hump it for a day back to the car mm. park when yeah. you can just shoot one on the slip behind the car park. It's not... It doesn't make any sense. So Waro... And I don't think anyone will argue the fact that the Waro stuff is a is a required part of deer management in New Zealand, whether we like it or not, because we simply can't do it on foot. I mean, they tried to do it on foot in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. and it was all they were doing was, you know, sticking their fingers in the dam. Like, it was not that effective in reducing numbers. At best, in places where it was accessible, they were keeping the numbers at a constant level. In the meantime, in the back country where they couldn't get to, they were continuing to skyrocket. So we need helicopter control on some level. It's just whether we can write them, you know, find a happy balance between... Yeah, there's, always, of- there's always that conflict. And, I, you know, I think that what they're doing down south with a Wapiti is a good model. And that, you know, if you take the Rohini's in the area we're in, there's a recreational hunting area, which is a fairly big patch that uh, the Waro guys can't go in, so it's basically there just for recreational hunters. But if that area was actually taken seriously and had a proper management plan around it, because it's just filthy with deer in there, um, and was managed properly and hinds taken out and stags sort of given the opportunity to get a bit of age on them and dear I say it, even perhaps introduce some slightly better genetics into there. So what, why <laughs> um, don't, what, if it's a recreational hunting area that has good numbers, why don't people hunt it? Like what's the access like? And why don't they hunt yeah. it? They do, but there just aren't the numbers of hunters in there required, Not given the size impact. of it, yeah. to, to on the ground control the numbers. And the um, recreational hunters have been very successful in lobbying to protect that mm-hmm. and, you know, good on them. But I think over time, you know, you look at these things from a balanced perspective, it actually does no one any favours when you see the numbers just climb, climb, climb. And, you know, you can go in there and glorify your eight-pointer collection till your heart's content. But nothing ever really gets any better than, well, the, the odd one. Mm. But you'll find that probably they're shot largely on the bush edge um, or close, it, close to the farmland and certainly along the base of the Rohinis that, you know, they've benefited from the odd escape. Mm. Um, we've had a couple of good doozy storms along there and there's been some escapees over the years and probably all the best trophies shot along there in the last 10 years would sort of date back to farm genetics. Mm. Right. You were going to fill us in on something else we didn't need to know as young buggers. Oh, yeah. Well, just understanding why the old boys like pulling the trigger. Um, 
in the sort of late 70s, I guess early 80s, back then, I can remember shooting a stag and selling it. So we still had the old bergs, chillers and things floating around the place where you could just drag a deer in there in any state and sell it. And it was a particularly big stag, but it got 550 bucks for it. Now that was probably a, a week's wages was about 400 bucks mm. or less. So the significance of being able to, you know, head into the hills in the weekends and pretty much double your income by shooting one deer mm. was quite a driver, you know. And so, so again, everything Brown was a prisoner um, because it it made such a huge difference to a lot of rural kind of guys in terms of. Um, boosting their income simple as that and you know once you once you're trained in a certain way it's pretty hard to change your philosophy and just back off and say oh, okay well I'm not actually going to shoot that I'm not going to shoot that you can certainly see the benefits of it but and it's probably why statistically a lot of the hunting accidents are older buggers I think it's not because they've got ratchet eyesight, they've just got ratchet judgment. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's that gotta get that gotta get that target down mentality. Yeah. Mm. That combined with the gotta get something to be successful. Yeah, and, and and being in tight bush. You know, I could see that it you know, that'd be probably far less in the sort of environment we've been in the last few days of guys getting sort of drilled out in the open country as in the tight bush where everyone's running around roaring and mm. well, I think that's also partly you know the ballot block system and, and applying and being drawn and knowing you're the only person in that area yeah that's certainly nice mm. Mm. yeah it really is do you remember your first deer current Sort of hope you were going to skip over that quite badly. How many shots? Um, I don't know if it was an abundance of shots, but it certainly wasn't pretty. Uh, it was Blue Mountains. We must have been just old enough to drive because we we drove there, so maybe we were 16 or 17 or something like that. And we saw this one little fellow yelling miles away, like miles and so we walked for a good half day to get to where we thought it might have been. And it was still standing there, graffitiing. So I remember, and like, quite possibly this was the first big game animal, really, that I'd shot with this uh, Remington 270 that I brought. And I remember it was blued synthetics. So I thought it was bloody shit hot. Oh, it was. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah it was. Um, and anyways, yeah, it was whatever. Maybe I'd... Whatever I don't know how we decided it was me shooting, but it was me shooting, and uh, shot it, and this deer just dropped. And it was like Jesus, that went exactly hit to plan. You know, that was just perfect. So we started walking over, and then this deer stood up. And we're like, that can't be that deer. <laughs> My deer fell over. So then there was a blaze of shots. Like I think I was the best part of a magazine, and my mate was almost the best part of a magazine, and one of us got it in the end. It's sort of, actually, for a first deer, it's, it wasn't very nice. 
Like I didn't really enjoy the whole process. Bit traumatic. I was a bit like, oh, actually, <laughs> I guess I thought my first deer was going to feel better than that. And mm. it was, you know, like get home. And Dad was like, oh, good man, you got your first deer. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is what actually happened. It was, bit, it was quite flat. So, yeah, there you go. You asked for it. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if we can tell the story of my first deer, can we, Dad? Oh yeah, be a pigeon. I'm thinking those guys um, don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> You've changed addresses at this point, anyway. Possibly in jail. Some yeah. of them. Yeah, I, I do remember it. it was mildly traumatic. Um, what the beer, the deer, or the jug? Oh, just the whole experience. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but it, uh, I still remember that carry. It was a bit of a. It was a good grunt up there. It was hill. a, a yeah. serious grunt, and I was. Probably quite quite good nick at fifteen, probably. Mm, better than that. That's better right. than that. There's no doubt about that. Unfortunately. Oh well, Corin. You got <laughs> any more? I good. I good. Well thought out questions. Um. <laughs> well, that's. Yeah. Uh, Have you got a good thought out question? Yeah, just just anything, Corin. <laughs> um, no. Oh, well, no. I, well, I guess. If you've got a shed full of six and eights, Ross, mm. what is it that you're looking for in a stag down here? Because you said you were only going to shoot a PB. Mm. What is that and why? Okay. Um, I like even. So, Well, just to clarify, you do have a 12 on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Got, got a, a 12 and a 13, but the 12 to me is nicer because it's dead even. Mm-hmm. Um I would have gone for a bigger 12 or a bigger 10. I like mm-hmm. symmetry. Mm-hmm. Again, probably a lot of guys of my era like symmetry. I, mean, I just can't stand these modern-day broccoli head things. Yep. Wouldn't give you tuppence for one. I'd far rather you better explain have a medium-sized 12 or 14 <laughs> than a great big thing with, you know, 19 points. But Yeah. You know, seven on one side and twelve on the other, mm. sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I, I would have gone for. Something um, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Something, something, something nice and even and just bigger than. But in saying that, um, I'd quite you know it would have been nice to have got something. As you get older, I had the privilege of. Um, going on a hunting trip with my daughter. She'd been working in the South Island and I'd never been tar hunting and she was able to organise a tar hunt on a property with a high country station owner Um, and we were just absolutely lucky enough to knock over a representative bull tar and it was a story with a whole lot of drama. I'd needed another half hour to tell that one. That one was pretty awesome too. Um... (laughs) Abandon your daughter on the hill for this tar. Um, <laughs> Who got well, she very ridiculous <laughs> vertigo and couldn't go any further? She oh, dad just no. ditched her on the side of the hill. Oh. Awesome. I thought we were pretty near the ridge, so I was thought it was bound to, to be something over the other side. So I had to leave her there. But again, being a North Islander, didn't really judge the size of the country too well and how far I was going. And shot this bloody tar. Of course, it rolled for half a kilometre down a rock slide and chased it down and by the time I got down there and got the friggin' head off and the head skin off and well the cape off and 
got myself organised. I knew my jellied legs would never get me back to the top, so I just had to ditch my daughter and head out the bottom. Um, and I knew she'd be all right. I could see the light on the hill, and when I got back to the hut, I managed to get phone reception, sort of guided her down in the dark. She was sweet, but it just made the whole experience that much better for her. Um, so when she hangs that on a wall... You know, it'll have some meaning. Why, why are they going on the kids' walls? When I, when I die, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I've got it into the garage. Um, when I snuff it, I'd like to think, well, that's something they might put up and remember the old boy by. So I'd quite like to snot something over with Matthew mm-hmm. that he can hang up and, and think, oh, well, there you go. It's got more than six points. I could perhaps give you two six pointers. You could put them on either side of your mantelpiece. <laughs> That'd day. be nice. Um, well, if we, well, if maybe we see a three inch chamois tomorrow, it could be yeah. in trouble. <laughs> three yeah. Inch yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't point out that we saw chamois, tar, fallow, reds, unbelievable, all all on one block. Yeah, we saw a few critters. And, a, and you know, total self control. I, I think that, that is one of the, the real benefits to. I guess not. As I guess it wasn't. Were we Alpine? I guess we were Alpine. No, it's Alpine. Well, it Alpine, mid yeah. Alpine, <laughs> South, <laughs> South Island hunting is the opportunity to see other game. Like that's pretty good. So what about Matthew? Like obviously we've known each other for a long time now, so you know the red deer. I guess I look at a film at and whatever. What's your trophy red deer? Well, it's that's, that's a funny thing. I actually had a realization the other night when Dad roared that sort of heavy eight pointer up <clears throat> for me and I was sneaking in with him on a bow and he was coming in hot just on dark he ended up busting me but the well it's not quite true he ended up busting you yeah he busted <laughs> me and Ryan basically walked somewhere in between Ross yeah. who was roaring and Matthew who had the bow <laughs> yeah and I, I was set up perfect and I was like this is going to be money and I was ranging the bottom I was like that's far as he's going to be is 38 close he's going to be is 20 this is going to be perfect and he was just bellowing and like in running hot. He's coming in hot. He wasn't even, he'd stop and look and dad roar and then he'd just run and start roaring as he was running, just bellowing, like he was just coming in hot. My biggest issue was trying to figure out how I was going to stop him. Then all of a sudden, I was sitting there, had my arrow in, had my release clipped on, I sort of set up ready to draw, and all of a sudden he just, just went, <laughs> legs, his feet just slid out in front of him and he just pinned on something and just froze. And I was like, man... The wind's good, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then he just bolted. And I was like, oh, this bow hunting's harder than I thought. I don't (laughs) know what I did wrong there. And I go walking over and walk back up to Dad and Curran and Ryan, a bit dejected, and Curran sort of looks at me and goes, oh... (laughs) We might have fucked that up for you, Matt. It's <laughs> like, so, oh, okay, that, Mate, that makes sense. We, we, had, we were, at that point, we had decided we were going to stay in glass. And I swear to God, whatever happened, but in the five minutes you had gone, I just got that fucking cold. Like, I couldn't hear anything because my head was shaking and my, my puffer jacket hood, and I was just, <laughs> we're walking up there somewhere between the actual stag that was roaring and Ross that was roaring. I was like, oh, we'll find them in a minute. And then all of a sudden it was like, now we're in between them. I was like, this, like I saw Ross, and he was a bit like, Get down! I was like, "What? <laughs> what? What?" <laughs> like very unprofessional hunting. I was like, "What are you on about, Ross?" He's like, "I think you just busted him." I was like, "Oh fuck!" So yeah, anyway, Ryan made for a good story. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a better story than a, <laughs> than a rack of antlers. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was what it was. It was the first <laughs> night. I was really not that worried. And it's like I said earlier, it's a lot of fun having them come at you like that. But I mean, that when I stop and think about it, having hunted mainly in the North Island for stags. 
personally and then have guided I don't know probably 10 or a dozen free range ones down south professionally and they would all be you know I think the smallest one I shot was probably a big 10 and anything else is sort of 12, 14, 16 you know on private property but free range so I've seen and been involved in a lot of big deer getting shot and like to think that I had a you know some kind of well I know I did some of the clients I had sort of wouldn't have found them on their own but so that side of things but personally when I think back I think the biggest I have is probably a nice little even 10 that I shot in Marlborough you know a few years back and then other than that it's the same kind of dusty six and eight pointers so I really don't have any quote end quote trophy red deer on my wall but having been involved in the professional side of hunting and not sort of stacking those trophies up in my own garage putting them in other people's garages mainly from the United States I sort of find myself in the same position that I'm probably more of a picky trophy hunter than I need to justify because mm. I don't have anything of any size or any note um, but I have been involved in hunting them and, and seen the big ones at the ground so it means that I've got pretty high standards with not really a lot to show for it um, and that doesn't really bother me at all so for me I'd love to get a nice even 12 I'd love even more to get something like that with my bow um, just because it is so much harder <laughs> like it, it really is like that second stag that I got on yesterday you know we could have shot him from where we spotted him from easily mm. and then you know, two hours later two hours later I could have shot him probably I don't know it would have had 25 to 30 opportunities to shoot him right from 250 right down to probably 60 yards and then getting into that 25 and he, he was just coming around the corner of the Madagari and I could see one side of his antlers and ear and as he stood there um, roaring and when he roared his nose would come up and I could see the tip of his nose and you know, blowing smoke out in the air like it's and at that range they're pretty audible. You know, that kind of experience before his girlfriends busted me and took off and he never had any idea what it was doing. He was just pissed off that his Hines had left. Hines had left. So he chased him and roared the whole way out. So he never really busted me. But having that kind of experience with a bow, you know, for me I feel like I've and I know it sounds funny, but I feel like I've shot two deer because I got to have that that rush right up to that point. Now, you don't quite get the, you know, the pinnacle is actually letting an arrow go, mm. but um, getting everything leading up to that point. So, I mean, to answer your question, I'd be happy with, you know, any red deer if the hunting portion of it's right. You know, the the second deer that I was just talking about, he was, he was an older deer, but he was a shitty nine, really. He was nothing special at all. Would have been awesome in the Ruahinis. Yeah, he is what he is, right? But compared to some of the other ones that we were seeing and deliberately turning down, he really wasn't that special. But with a bow, you know, getting that close to a roaring stag when he's got hinds all around him is a real challenge. So for me, trophies in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I would have been quite happy with that, to be fair. Mm. Good. That was my one question. That was your question. It wasn't a bad one. Yeah, it brought a bit of time. Mm. I mean, I know Dad's got a never-ending plethora of stories, but I think that um, over the next couple of years we'll just slowly extract them. 
What did we learn from this hunt? What did we learn? Yeah. Ryan, what did you learn from this hunt? Uh, do not buy a $5 bloody foam mattress from the warehouse to lie on. <laughs> yeah, good point. At our yeah, point yeah, temperatures. Yeah. yeah, have um, the right gear. What I learnt was one of those backcountry breakfasts feeds more than <laughs> one bloke. That's good. Yep, there was, there's a bit of tucker on those breakfasts. There, there's a hot tip for you guys out there. You can do two breakfasts for twelve ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> Hot tip coming in quick. Hot tips coming in quick. Um, despite the fact that we were told there were no water up there, you know who you are if you listen to this podcast. Um, there was actually water, so we didn't need to ration ourselves to about 250 mil a day for the first two days. We could have stayed hydrated. And I think, like after the second, was it the second evening? I could just, like, I was dehydrated, and I didn't need to be dehydrated. I just mm. sort of, for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, I was thinking we need to save water. And it didn't help after we come back from a first glassing session, and we'd left one of the drums on the side, and half of it had drained out. So <laughs> at that point, my water budget went through the Plummeted. floor. So I figured, right, we're going to have to pucker up. At the end of the day, we had water that we were pouring out as the helicopter was turning up. So yeah. didn't need to dehydrate myself. That's probably what I learned. Uh, what did I learn? I learned for all the technology in the world that I'm trying to take on, I probably should have just looked at Google Maps a bit more because when we flew out, yeah, no kidding, I saw a lot of good country that probably needed to be investigated. Yeah, and, and, and it's not range. like we didn't hunt the country that was there, but there was definitely time. And like I say, we came out a day early. Like technically, we still caught a hundred today and tomorrow morning. Yeah. Blockwise, um, you know, and perhaps that was elevated in the fact that when we flew out over them, two of those gullies had stag standing in them. But uh, that's yeah, hindsight. Yeah, but uh, that's probably something Google Earth is a is a great wee tool. I never looked at it either, which was a rookie mistake because I usually, for my hunting in British Columbia, I like before I go anywhere, I spend hours looking at Google Maps, like mm. hours. Well, I got. To be fair, and it's not an excuse, but I think I got delusion in the fact that the block was small, so I figured we'd hunt it all. Easy to cover. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if we didn't hunt it, I figured we'd see it all. Mm. When we flew out today, I, we really didn't. Yeah. Oh, so that was probably next time. It was actually yeah, double the size because you could hunt both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was that bloody steep. If we draw it, if we draw it again, we'll know. Yeah. yeah. So, um... Yeah, that that's what I learned. But um and we we plug, not that we do this for anyone, but um we flew with uh Wanaka helicopters and they were really good. Yeah, they were awesome. Good guys actually. So nice clean floor in the shed. Yeah, mm. good sign. So if anybody's no oil leaks flying in around that way, um yeah, I'd definitely recommend them. They were really good. And the boys were good for a chat too, actually. The yeah, certainly helped. Good value. And uh I had to laugh. We flew over as we were flying in. He said, oh, I've got to stop there all the time to do Instagram photos. That made me Google. And he did take yeah. a great Instagram photo. He did, and then he got out of the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, and he had that down unloaded our gear, just reached, instinctively reached for the nearest cell phone and took a gram photo for us. We yeah. didn't even have to ask him. And he was yeah. doing multiple angles, horizontal and portrait. Yeah, no, he was all over that. He was all over it. So, yeah, yeah. good on you. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Yep, no, I think that's it. Did we mention you got a PB though in Dockland? 
Oh, you were oh, yeah, we did. No, 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 no. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I did pull the trigger. Um, technology almost pulled me up at that point, but we <laughs> did. Can <laughs> <laughs> we, um, me and Ryan, or I guess to set this, put some context on that. I brought a new scope recently. Yeah, to, if anyone's listened to the Rachel Artilla podcast, when we're starting that, and both me and Curran had, had a pretty big night, and I said to Curran, in jest, hey Curran, I know what'll make you feel better, go and spend 10 grand on optics. I didn't actually think you'd go and do it. Well, I didn't. I spent 9,800 on optics. Oh, <laughs> well, you didn't but tell me that. Don't right? tell my wife. But anyways... Um, so what's wrong with a fixed player for Tesco? <laughs> Plus, anyways, you must mention Curran's not good with technology. Yeah, yeah, anyway, not, not that good with technology. But anyways, so I now have the ability to play with my turrets and shoot further than I've ever shot before. This is a new skill set, but because I actually just like to look at animals, I had Ryan there and gave him the binoculars, and he's found the new. His new job is to range things as we're hunting. Hell yeah. <laughs> and um, I've got it with my 270. And I don't know why. I don't really want to shoot to 500, but I have set my furthest click on the turret to 500. So what that means for me is I go 1, 3, 4, So 100 to 300. Yeah, one, so one to 300. No 200. Yeah. Which and is 80% of the animals you shoot are at 200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a hindsight thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, so, and Ryan's like, 240. I was like, oh, shit, that's not far at all. But there's hinds behind him. And I thought, right, well, by the time I really get this dialed in, he could be heading that way, or if I miss, he'll head that way. So I'll just put it at 300. That'll, that'll be fine. <laughs> and we were quite excited about shooting a stag. Or, you know, boom, and it just stood there. Ryan's like, I don't think that hit it. <laughs> I was like, I, I think you're right. <laughs> just standing there looking at me funny. So I was like, oh, Jesus. So... I was like, it's got to be on it. Like, you know, like, so all it did was just dropped it by like an inch on its shoulder or whatever, and that was enough. And it it did. And it took a hell of a tumble. It was like a bull tar for wasn't it? Like, Definitely, yeah. He sort of came out on a rock ledge and. We cringed. We thought yeah, they were going to be broken was, antlers yeah, after all this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, thankfully he um, fell on the spot. And the one thing I've, I was saying to the boys earlier on, right while you're away, the one thing we probably did wrong on that morning is. And I don't regret it because it's it's the way the day played out. But we knew where that stag was, and we gave up sort of an hour, an hour and a half of roaring deer to, I guess, go to that stag. You know, and really, in, in pure hunting terms, we could have just poked over the edge and had a look, and because there were stags roaring and stuff while we were true getting our photos done. And it it's fair, like the animal we'd already shot that animal, like that is where our time and energy can go, but. Straight out hunter, we might have missed something too. I don't know. So that's probably something I'd at least put some thought into next time. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah. it all ended well. And what what is it? It's, it's a nice trophy for Dockland. What it's a is it? It's a 12? technically it's a twelve, but he's five and seven. Um, so he's like it's somewhere between. It's, it's my PB on a on a dock, you know, raw trip, um, and it's somewhere between a management stag and. A really good stag for me. Well, so he's got a bit of age on it, which is the nice thing to see. Yeah, he's got a bit of he's age. Not gonna, and it's, it's he's just going to get ugly. Compared to the older. the younger, nice twelves and so forth that were there, like there was better stags to be breeding than him. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I no not hiding anything there. Like I shot it because I wanted to shoot it, and I enjoyed the trip, and it's part of the memory bank on my trip. So, mm. and, 
yeah. It'll be interesting to see what we see tomorrow because it's slightly different country we're hunting tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, not, like not as steep. Ge- Geography-wise? Well, it's a wee steep, but it's not, not as steep. No <laughs> Razorbacks, but, um, but the tussock's going to be bigger, so... Um, and it's, yeah, it's supposed to be a proper frost tomorrow. Yeah, it's supposed to be cold tomorrow. So Ross's steel toe boots are going to be just... Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> just chilly <laughs> enough no tomorrow worries, morning. Mate. You'll just get in the truck and get the four blowers going. Man's track, just Ross, put two we'll pairs right. of socks on. Toughen yeah. up. No, we'll be right. We might even take coffee. Well, I'm excited too, because... I've only been pig hunting once, and that was with you, Curran. Yeah. I don't think it was a raging success. No, it certainly wasn't. Um, well, the week before, my dogs got beat up, so... Oh, that's right. I you had, I had a couple on the box. I had with the- <laughs> two, and I had Pip as like a six-month... Uh, uh, Myra as a six-month-old, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't Flash. And then poor old Nut was in a dog box full of stitches and drains yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the things weren't good. Yeah, okay, I remember that now. So that was my sort of... Well, we, we, that's, that's only a secondary thing. Uh, yeah, a secondary option for tomorrow. We're looking for a stag first, and then we'll probably run the dogs on the way home. Cool. Take my bow for another walk. It's a really well-walked bow. Mm. It hasn't been mm. fired very much in anger, to be fair. No, nope. oh, that's good. All right, we'll can it there. Probably got to go to bed. Yeah. We're getting yeah, up to Sparrow start, start tomorrow. tomorrow morning. Yeah, cheers for yep. that, guys. Awesome. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, Thank you trip, for the thanks. trip, boys. Yep. Yeah, beauty. There's another two hours in this fire. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if our listeners have got another two hours in their day, though, Dad. We'll save it for next time. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.